one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the Napoleonic Wars, part two. Last week I covered the early months of the Napoleonic Wars of 1803 to 1815, including a British naval victory over the French at Trafalgar, and a major French victory against the Austrians at the Battle of Austerlitz. Napoleon was subsequently able to force Vienna into a humiliating peace agreement in December Austria's demise meant that Prussia now became vulnerable to Napoleon's ambition and so made efforts to reach a settlement. The Treaty of Schönbrunn in December 1805, together with various follow-up agreements imposed by France, committed Prussia not only to a comprehensive agreement with Napoleon, but also to the annexation of Hanover and the closure of northern seaports to British shipping. Frederick William of Prussia saw that this would mean a huge loss of customs revenue and severely damage his kingdom's economic prosperity and also mean war with Britain. But he was most frightened of France and of his kingdom suffering the same fate as Austria. Anxious to avoid a conflict with Russia and worried about his kingdom becoming a French satellite, Frederick William also pursued a secret policy of rapprochement with St. Petersburg, but nothing concrete was agreed. He was also afraid to hear rumours in the summer of 1806 that Napoleon was offering the electorate of Hanover to the British in return for peace. A sense of national humiliation for Prussia, coupled with a growing appreciation that the kingdom was effectively becoming a French satellite, whose fate could be determined by the whim of Napoleon, 
finally drove the Prussians to war. Frederick William III mobilised and sent an ultimatum to Paris, demanding the return of some Prussian territories and the withdrawal of French troops from Prussia's frontiers. However, the timing was poorly chosen and done without the backup of any allies. The Prussians were confident they could achieve military success and forced Napoleon to treat them as equals. However, Napoleon crushed their armies in just a week in the twin battles of Vienna and Auerstedt. The victorious French launched an invasion of Prussia that carried all before them. Most of what remained of the Prussian military was rounded up with hardly a fight, while many fortresses capitulated at the first summons. The myth of Prussian military invincibility was shattered, and the capital, Berlin, fell on the 24th of October, 1806. The Prussian army had notably declined since the end of the Seven Years' War, become overly dependent on large numbers of foreign troops, and unable to deal with French innovations. In the 18th century, battle had been largely seen as a last resort, with few exceptions. Commanders preferred to conduct manoeuvres and sieges, rather than risk the destruction of their armies in battle. This was most clearly demonstrated in the War of Bavarian Succession, 1778-79, to where the armies managed to avoid battle throughout the war. Napoleon refined changes which had been introduced in the 1790s, which emphasised the offensive. He had a great ability to move his troops over long distances at great speed and then to concentrate them on the vulnerable enemy to achieve a decisive victory. Basic to this was Napoleon's subdivision of his army into units of men called corps, usually of some 25 to 30,000 men. This made possible the deployment of the army over a wide front, which somewhat reduced the problem of obtaining provisions, and more importantly, hid from the enemy the ultimate objective until the last moment. The various corps could then be assembled quickly just before a battle. Speed was central to Napoleon's success. Forced marches gave his men the advantage of surprise, which could usually be turned into victory. In the next stage of the war, in late 1806, the French Grande Armée drove Russian forces out of Poland and marched into Warsaw. There was already an insurrection in Poland against Russian control, which Napoleon had actively encouraged. In Warsaw, he was greeted by triumphal arches and delirious crowds who hoped to get back their independence lost a decade before. A Polish army joined Napoleon on his campaign, which continued north to try and capture the port of Königsberg, which had become the temporary Prussian capital. The main Russian army confronted the French in East Prussia. In the late evening of 7th of February 1807, the French attacked and captured the village of Eilau, after which the battle was named, with heavy losses on both sides. The following day brought even more serious fighting. Napoleon's first frontal attack failed with heavy losses, so the Emperor changed tactic and launched a massive cavalry charge against the Russians. The French right wing advanced strongly and the Russian army was in danger of collapse, but fortunately for them they were saved by a Prussian contingent who arrived late on the battlefield. 
the Russians retreated, leaving Napoleon in possession of a snowy battlefield covered with thousands of dead and wounded. Eilau was the first serious check to the Grand Armée, and the myth of Napoleon's invincibility was badly shaken. Napoleon soon after, however, regained the initiative at the decisive Battle of Friedland of June 1807. This time the French army outnumbered the enemy were able to push them back to a river. The Russians suffered huge casualties, especially from many who died drowning while trying to escape. The next month, Napoleon and Tsar Alexander agreed the Treaties of Tilsit, the negotiations famously taking place on a raft in the middle of the River Neyman. The raft was an ingenious solution to the need for neutral ground where the two emperors could meet on an equal footing. As Napoleon was anxious to get back west to complete the reorganisation of Italy and Germany, the settlement was not overly harsh on the Russians. Alexander forswore any ambitions in Germany and agreed to give up the Ionian Islands. Essentially, the continent of Europe was carved up into French and Russian spheres of influence, with the areas between the rivers Elba and Neiman turned into a buffer zone. Russia gained yet more of Poland at Prussia's expense, while a secret clause gave Alexander the nod to invade Finland and wrest it from Swedish control. Prussia was treated very harshly. His territory was dismembered, he was forced to pay a heavy indemnity and reduce its forces to just 42,000. The newly formed Duchy of Warsaw was taken from the Prussian partition. Prussia and Austria were left with no choice but to pursue a policy of accommodation, while Napoleon was left in possession of virtually the whole of Germany, whose resources were channelled to him through the Confederation of the Rhine. Hundreds of thousands of Germans were pledged to the imperial project, making them the principal reservoir of manpower and resources to sustain Napoleon's later campaigns. Napoleon had thus secured for France and himself a position of preeminence in Europe that was quite astonishing, beyond the dreams even of Louis XIV. In the process, a great new dynasty had been created. One of Napoleon's brothers, Louis, ruled a new kingdom in the Netherlands. The Bourbons had been ejected from the Kingdom of Naples in favour of another Bonaparte, brother Joseph. And among the destruction of the Holy Roman Empire was yet another Bonaparte brother, Jerome, who became the ruler of the newly created Kingdom of Westphalia. Napoleon reserved northern Italy for himself, where he became head of the Kingdom of Italy. Napoleon set out to repair relations with the Catholic Church, agreeing to pay clerical salaries in return for a high level of control over the hierarchy and papal blessings for his imperial ambitions. He also implemented a series of domestic reforms in France and her allied states, the common theme was the goal of establishing a more efficient system of conscription and taxation to feed the war machine. All this amounted to the imposition of a system of uniformity in which the French nation was explicitly dominant. Napoleon argued specifically that, quote, there is not enough sameness among the nations of Europe. There must be a superior power which dominates 
all the other powers, with enough authority to force them to live in harmony with one another, and France is best placed for that purpose. End quote. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Not surprisingly, the overweening power of France provoked a reaction across Europe. Popular resistance where it erupted, such as in Spain, Naples and the Tyrol, was driven by local factors, but a common theme was a reaction against high taxation and conscription. Russia and Great Britain were still major forces to be reckoned with. For the meantime, Napoleon was content to leave the Tsar his sphere of influence in the East, but there remained his perennial headache, how to defeat the most persistent of enemies, the British. Since after the defeat at Trafalgar, a seaborne invasion was out of the question, he decided instead to try and destroy the British economically. To achieve this aim, he persuaded several states, including Russia, to join an economic blockade known as the Continental System. British goods were to be excluded from the continent and all their ships and cargoes seized. The aim was that Britain would sooner or later be forced to surrender. However, it proved very difficult to police the embargo across the whole continent. Many goods supplied by the British had become staples of daily life, including colonial products such as sugar and tobacco. Also, the customs duties they brought were an important source of revenue for many parts of Europe. Britain was an important market, for example, for Spanish sherry and brandy, Prussian wheat and naval supplies from Sweden and Russia. In summary, it was always going to be difficult to close the whole continent to trade with Britain. One of the key strategic areas was the Baltic, and the Royal Navy moved fast to prevent the Danes from joining the blockade. They ruthlessly bombarded Copenhagen and captured the Danish fleet. They therefore succeeded in preventing the Danes from being able to block British ships, but at the cost of numerous civilian casualties. The other gaping hole in Napoleon's blockade was Portugal. The Portuguese were reluctant to join the economic blockade since they were traditional allies of the British, and because Britain was also an important export market for their wine. They appealed to London for assistance and played for time for as long as possible. Eventually, a combined Franco-Spanish army 
invaded Portugal in November 1807 and forced her regent, Prince John, to flee to Brazil. The war was rapidly over, yet French troops continued to enter Spain, which made the Spaniards very suspicious of French intentions. Napoleon had always been keen to squeeze as much as he could out of his Spanish ally for the sake of French interests. Why at this point he decided to intervene more directly is not clear. Perhaps it was a sense of disappointment at Spain at her woeful performance at the Battle of Trafalgar and her failure now, willful or not, to enforce the blockade rigorously. In part, it may be the fact that by 1807, King Charles IV of Spain had become the last representative of the Bourbon family to keep his dominions intact. He was therefore a constant reminder to the Bonapartes of their want of legitimacy, a symbol of the system which Napoleon had overthrown. Another possibility is that the Iberian Peninsula was a natural zone of French influence, a fruit ripe for the picking. It appeared weak enough to dominate without too much difficulty. Charles IV of Spain had been king since 1788, but real power was in the hands of the chief minister Manuel Godoy, who was a firm supporter of the French alliance. But Godoy was increasingly unpopular, and his overthrow appeared increasingly likely. In the final months of 1807, under cover of a joint war to place Portugal under French control, Napoleon sent troops to Spain. The following spring saw a full-scale French takeover. In March 1808, Godoy's opponents rose up and forced Charles to abdicate in favour of his more popular son, Ferdinand VII. At the news, crowds in Madrid celebrated by sacking the houses of Godoy and his relatives. All across the country, people rejoiced on learning of the accession of Ferdinand el Desiado, or the Desired One. Charles IV soon regretted his hasty abdication and declared it null, assigned under duress. By now French troops had occupied Madrid and Barcelona and were spreading throughout northern Spain. Both Ferdinand and Charles were anxious to get support from Napoleon, who agreed to meet them all together at the town of Bayonne in the Pyrenees. But in a brass-necked coup d'etat, he gave the Spanish throne to his brother Joseph and incarcerated the Spanish royals in different French chateaus. Napoleon assumed that Spaniards would not strongly object to the appointment of Joseph as king, but he was mistaken. A popular uprising against the occupying French army had already begun in Madrid on the 2nd of May 1808, forever remembered in Spanish history as the Dos de Mayo, and it was intensified by news of Ferdinand's forced abdication. French troops quickly stamped down on the uprising, killing up to 500 Spaniards, but resistance spread quickly to the provinces. Where the rising succeeded, provincial juntas were formed, which took command of the region in the name of Ferdinand VII, 
citing the sovereignty of the nation and the will of the people. Presses suddenly free from official censorship flooded the country with sermons and proclamations of clergymen and others inciting their countrymen to defend their religion, king and nation against the godless French. Spanish irregulars won a victory over French troops at Bailen in southern Spain and also put up particularly fierce resistance in Saragossa. The Spanish regular army was no match for the French, but the Spanish turned to an increasingly ferocious guerrilla war, which the French were unable to put down, and Joseph fled from Madrid to Vitoria. The Portuguese also rose up, proclaiming their loyalty to Prince John and driving the French from the countryside. Napoleon, infuriated by the uprising, led an army across the Pyrenees in November and in December recaptured Madrid. Occupied elsewhere, he returned north and left his armies to finish off putting down the revolt. The Spanish and Portuguese revolts crucially gave the British a way back into the continent, an arena for direct military intervention. In August 1808, a British expeditionary force arrived in Portugal under the command of Sir Arthur Wellesley, who the next year was given the title of the Duke of Wellington. Wellington achieved his first significant victory against the French on the 21st of August at the Battle of Vimiero, making good use of the superior firepower of the British army. His task was to work with the Spanish and Portuguese insurgents and to make his way westwards to take control of the peninsula and attack France from the south. Time and again, most notably when Napoleon went to Spain himself to take command, it looked as if the insurgency might be overcome. Yet repeatedly the British and Spanish regained the initiative. Wellington retreated back to Portugal twice in 1809 and just held on at the line of Torres Vedras, a set of fortifications which protected Lisbon in 1810 to 1811. On the 22nd of July 1812, a combined force of British, Portuguese and Spanish defeated the French at the Battle of Salamanca, inflicting about 13,000 casualties on the enemy of the loss of a little over 5,000 themselves. As a consequence of Wellington's victory, his army was able to advance to and liberate Madrid for two months before having to retreat back to Portugal. Meanwhile, the French were forced to abandon the southern Spanish region of Andalusia permanently. In 1813, crucially with naval support, the British once more advanced strongly towards the French frontier. The horrors unleashed by the French wars in Spain were captured in the artwork of Francisco Goya. A series of imprints known as the Disasters of War frees in time the agonies and brutality of the guerrilla war in Spain, women being raped, the limp corpses of civilians dangling from gibbets, a priest garroted. This demonstrated the indiscriminate nature of the violence which the Spanish suffered in those years. One consequence of the war for Spain and the destruction of their fleet was the rupturing of political relations between Madrid and her colonies. In 1810, uprisings started in Argentina, Mexico and Venezuela, 
which would eventually lead to the independence of South America from Spain. The Napoleonic Wars also caused tensions between Britain and the United States. In response to French efforts to blockade British shipping, London tried to enforce their own naval blockade to choke off trade to France from neutral countries such as the United States. The Americans contested the blockade as illegal under international law and complained of the British searching their vessels which were suspected of trading with France and their allies. The War of 1812 broke out between the two sides when America attempted the invasion and conquest of Canada, but ended in stalemate in 1815. The Duke of Wellington's campaign and the Spanish guerrilla war were a considerable and ever-increasing drain on French manpower and resources. By 1812, France was to maintain no less than 30,000 troops on the Iberian Peninsula. The so-called Spanish ulcer eventually cost 300,000 casualties and seriously damaged France's military reputation. These were the first serious defeats inflicted on Napoleonic armies and they encouraged other European nations to resist French hegemony. The Peninsula War was also helpful for the British to counter the widespread belief that they were only interested in colonial gains and indifferent to the continent. Furthermore, it helped raise the previously low prestige of the British Army. Next week I conclude the story of the Napoleonic Wars. I hope you can join me then. In the meantime, check out the podcast's Facebook page or Patreon page if you would like to help support the show. Today's music is Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. First performed in Vienna in 1808, it is one of the most famous pieces of classical music. I shall leave you with the last couple of minutes of the symphony. Thank you for listening. Until next time, all the best and goodbye.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.